Hello and welcome to our At Any Rate Emerging Markets Focus podcast, a place for us to discuss recent developments and key issues of focus in the emerging market fixed income asset class. I'm Johnny Goulden from the Emerging Market Strategy team here at JP Morgan, and I'm joined by my colleague Saad Siddiqui, another senior emerging market strategist from the group. Saad, thanks for joining. Hi, good to be here. Johnny, so this week, let's start uh, with you and let's discuss investor flows and positioning in emerging markets fixed income. Why is this um, a focus for us at this point? Well, obviously the overall market environment remains volatile and that, that's true globally, uh, although we have seen some stability uh, in the last week in terms of EM asset prices. Uh, and this is all starting to bring into focus the question about whether there are technical supports in terms of flows and positioning, um, which can kick in uh, after these kinds of market sell-offs. Now, we've had a couple of prompts to look at this from the short-term indicators. On the negative side, we have just seen a large jump in outflows in the weekly data that we have on e emerging market bond funds. So after having been small outflows, I would say up until this point, fairly steady, which looked like they were quite resilient. The last two weeks have seen the two largest weeks of outflows since the depths of the COVID crisis. So $9.3 billion left emerging market bond funds over the last two weeks. Uh, and that is a major jump. And obviously that brings into question whether this is another shoe to drop uh, in terms of this period of market volatility. But on the other hand, the last week saw some positives. So we have what we call an EMFX risk appetite index, which looks at some of the technical indicators for EM currencies. And that moved into oversold territory last week as well. And that indicates the market may already be too negative in its sentiment and setup and is usually a good point to think about uh, adding back risk. Okay, so the momentum of outflows clearly has been very sharp from EM, uh, from EM bond funds, um, but more medium term, you know, we have been thinking about this more broader positioning setup for emerging markets as a source of support, especially if you compare it to, you know, previous periods, and that could be uh, something that makes this time uh, different. So how do you reconcile the short-term momentum with that more medium-term view which we've held um, in, in kind of in, in the past? Yeah, so obviously tying this into the overall cyclical environment and concerns, we're very focused as we have been in this podcast for much of this year on tightening financial conditions, liquidity withdrawal of central banks and the Fed in particular tightened policy. And markets hone in in that kind of environment on which asset classes benefited the most from the liquidity. Uh, they will likely be hit hardest on the way out. And in 2013's taper tantrum, that was firmly emerging markets. Foreign investors had bought in the three years prior to the taper tantrum, 400 billion of emerging market local bonds. And the outflow that came after that obviously contributed to a negative market environment, which was a three-year bear market. It was pretty protracted, um, and partly because of the buildup of those inflows. Now, 
for many of the major emerging market countries that we follow, our GBI EM index historically is, is probably a good way of thinking about those. Um, when you look at foreign investor flows into these markets, they have been around zero in the last three years and pretty shallow since 2015. So we've been looking at this and thinking that this part of the asset class is, is somewhat underloved and underowned by the global investment community. And that could therefore be a strong technical support against these cyclical headwinds. And so that really, I think for, for this focus is, is what we wanted to sense check. And Saad, turning to you, we, we've looked at this in, in our analysis from a couple of perspectives. So let's start with broad capital flows to emerging markets. Do they look supportive or are there questions about whether we have some vulnerabilities there? Right. So when you think about more recently, the type of asset price performance we've seen uh, in emerging markets, fixed income, it clearly hasn't been great. So that would um, give the, the impression that uh, the, the general capital flows picture has, has not been uh, very supportive. But if you take a step back and think about uh, capital flows in their grand total, in their aggregate, so what matters really from a macro standpoint uh, are all of the flows coming into uh, any given um, any given country for uh, on the balance of payments. So that includes FDI, portfolio flows, other flows as well, because those are what ultimately underpin the currency um, and financial conditions uh, in any, any in any market. And if the currency is underpinned, clearly that has a big impact on bond markets, on financing needs, the financial conditions in that market. So that's why I think um, starting our analysis from thinking about the balance of payments is quite important here. Now, what are, what are the balance of payments data saying? Um, on a four quarter rolling basis, using the latest available data that we have, the sum total of gross capital flows to our sample of emerging markets peaked at about $370 billion. And that's actually close to the peak of gross capital flows um, in dollar terms, um, actually in, in, the, in the entire period post-2008 financial crisis. Of course, there are some one-off things in there, such as the SDR allocation that took place um, last year. Um, but the broad pattern here is that since 2008, there have been three big cyclical surges of capital flows coming to uh, the emerging markets on, on a gross basis. Um, the first was in 2010 to 2013. Um, then, of course, we had um, a, a bear market. You had a second surge taking place in between 2016 to 18. So post-COVID, we've actually seen another big surge, which is close to or even slightly beyond on an annual basis, um, the peak we had um, in that entire period post-GFC. Got it. So broad capital flows were high, as high as in other peaks. But how does that fit with the subset, which I was talking about previously, which were these the lack of portfolio flows uh, for some EM countries. 
and that these never really got going in recent years. How do we tie that those data together? Right. So what you say about the portfolio flows is true, um, but it's only really for a narrow set of countries. And those are, you know, the major emerging market countries that are specifically in the GBIEM index. Now, once you include China, which is, you know, clearly very large, uh, more recent entrant uh, into the GBIEM index, um, the picture actually changes quite a bit. So including China, portfolio flows to EM peaked last year on a four-quarter rolling basis um, at a level that, again, it exceeded those heady days of 2010 to 13, the pre-taper tantrum um, period. And even if you take it, um, excluding China, um, the flows that we had um, you know, more recently in this post-COVID period they still reached the levels around 2017 um, at, at their peak. Um, and 2016, 17, we know was, uh, you know, a, a pretty uh, strong period for um, EM asset price uh, performance. However, over the last, you know, few quarters, you know, you mentioned that earlier, we have been seeing, um, you know, outflows and, and, and a reduction in portfolio flows um, to, uh, to, to these emerging markets. Um, and, and that's whether or not you include um, China. And it's actually quite similar to what we see in terms of the pattern of uh, both capital flows and portfolio flows as well to emerging markets that once they peak and you have a cyclical drawdown, that drawdown tends to be relatively um, long lasting. Um, and we've seen that in other periods of risk aversion as well. So it seems we're in that type of drawdown phase now for portfolio and capital flows to EM. Okay, and is that what we're seeing with these short-term weekly flow data turning more negative that I started with? Yeah, that's right. So the higher frequency data on the bond flows, it confirms that the, the best is behind us. And uh, as you just mentioned, it seemed that that momentum could be accelerating a bit. Um, uh, and even though the last few months has have seen uh, significant outflows, it's not just a reduction of the inflows, we've seen uh, uh, outright outflows, uh, it's still the case that the cumulative inflow uh, since COVID-19 began to both hard currency and local currency bond funds has been about $60 billion. Um, and even though we have seen... Uh, you know, we're quite off our peak in terms of that, the cumulative uh, funds that have come in um, post-COVID. There's still, um, uh, you know, quite a bit to go. If you look at China, you know, China has experienced a meaningful reversal over the last few months as well. Uh, we've seen about $20 billion worth of outflows year to date uh, from, uh, from, from the Chinese bond market. Um, but that said, uh, you know, the cumulative inflows to the Chinese bond market post-COVID was about $200 billion. So you're only making um, so far, you know, a small dent uh, in the cumulative inflows that have taken place since July 2020. So if there were these inflows, as, as you describe, you know, who got the money, which countries in EM were the ones that benefited and, and who didn't? 
So generally speaking, the inflows were pretty broadly spread, um, you know, across countries and mainly across portfolio and in FDI. So if you look at as a percent of GDP, Israel, Chile, Romania, and Colombia uh, were the top beneficiaries in terms of total uh, gross capital flows. If we look at just the bond inflows, they were much more concentrated in places like Korea, Brazil, and Israel. Um, but if you kind of think about those countries that benefited, uh, it seems that a lot of them are cyclical in nature. So if you think about Israel, which is you know, more sensitive to tech, or even the more commodity sensitive Chile and Colombia, uh, I think these markets would be more sensitive to a sharper and more protracted period of outflows, especially if you know, global growth fears intensify and commodities prices uh, correct. On the other end of the scale, you have South Africa, which in our sample of countries actually received the least amount of uh, total gross capital flows over this period and uh, total non-resident portfolio flows have been flat. So I think it's, you know, if we were to choose across um, different countries and regions, South Africa stands out probably from a positioning and technicals point of view as, as being uh, a bit more resilient than the others. So Johnny, now that we've talked a little bit about that medium term flow picture, which doesn't look as strong as commonly assumed, um, at the same time, in your kind of opening comments, you, you did mention that uh, our EMFX risk appetite index has signaled that it's an oversold territory. How would you marry up this, this indicator uh, that suggests that things are oversold and sentiment is too depressed versus this medium term picture, which seems that you know, the, the outflows are probably likely to continue for some time to come? Yeah, so this indicator has got a very good track record of identifying these short-term uh, pivot points in, in the MFX markets. And uh, as you say, we're oversold as of the end of last week. And really the way to think about that is it's likely to mean tactical opportunities in some currencies which had sold off quite a bit. Um, ZAR and BRL are two of them. Uh, which are likely to benefit from, from any bounce back. And, and we've reacted in, in some of our, 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 our views around that. Um, but that's probably a, a tactical and a short-term view. Um, I would say overall, the way we're treating this signal at the moment is, is typically, you know, we warmly embrace it and, and we pay, you know, put a lot of weight on it. I think our current reaction is, is not so much a, a warm embrace, but more of a timid socially distanced wave as we are sort of acknowledging that that it, it's probably going to mean for some select currencies some some short-term support but what we find more broadly is that in in periods where you are in uh, a more negative financial market environment this risk appetite index can remain negative for for more uh, medium-term periods so you can get short-term bounces but they may not uh, uh, change the overall trend. And that's the way we think about it. Um, the, the challenges on emerging market currencies are probably gonna, gonna persist here. And so that brings us to the end of this JP Morgan at any rate Emerging Markets Focus podcast. Thanks to you, Saad, for joining today. And thank you all for listening. And we hope to have you back again with us for the next one. This communication is provided for information purposes only. 
Please refer to JP Morgan Research reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2022 JP Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on the 20th of May, 2022.